Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 278. Everyone has a story, and don't assume what you're seeing is the story. You have to ask and listen. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you short on time when it comes to training your restaurant staff? Well, if you are, don't worry. I'm sure you're not alone. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can find that light by visiting Tipsy for a whole library of video courses delivered by World Barista Champions, leading sommeliers, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Learn more by clicking the Tipsy banner in the show notes. If you choose to subscribe today, you'll get a special 50% discount because your restaurant unstoppable listeners get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, <laughs> Chef Jay McCarthy. Chef, tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. Oh, man. I think, man, <laughs> you sound excited, but I might actually be more excited than you on oh, this one. Oh, yes. Uh, I can't wait to dive into this. Your career is all over the place, and I'm sure there's some amazing stories along the way. So, uh, Chef Jay McCarthy was born in New York, was raised in Jamaica, always accelerating in math and science. He found himself at Texas A&M, where he studied aerospace engineering. Somewhere. Uh, Gigamags. What's that? Nice. Somewhere along the line, cooking became his life. McCarthy has traveled to numerous countries, offering insights to chefs and sharing his ideas as a consultant for Texas Beef Council, Nebraska Beef Council, and the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Uh, he spends much of his time consulting, teaching, and lecturing overseas as well as domestically. Most recently, McCarthy filled the role uh, of corporate chef for all of Group 970's restaurants located in Colorado's Vale Valley. Um, I really had a lot of fun looking into your history, Chef. Uh, found you through Donald Burns. Uh, so if Donald Burns is you know recommending that I connect with you, this, this is going to be a good one. I can't wait. Um, so I like to start every interview off with a success quote or a mantra, something that you – uh, echo to those you're mentoring or something that just like, kind of sticks with you along the way. So what is one success quote or mantra that you'd like to share with us? You know, I have, I actually have a lot of them because I used to try to put a, a new one on my email every week. Mm. Uh, but the one I've gravitated towards is uh, one by uh, uh, David Brinkley. And he said, a successful man is uh, one who can lay a firm foundation with the bricks that others have thrown at him. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> I kind of like, yeah, I go, if you could take the abuse and build something out of it, you're going to come out ahead. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious, you're somebody who you said you used to like to use different quotes in your email all the time. What to you, what's the significance of quotes? What do they do? Why are they important? You know, I actually read a lot of poetry because it gets different parts of your brain working. Mm -hmm. and the uh, And I don't speak many languages, but I understand some languages. And the connotations with words are very powerful. Mm -hmm. And so the quotes, the way they lay out or whatever uh, association uh, with them uh, is what motivates people. Mm. So I try to put things at the end. Of, you know, I don't know how many emails you get in a day. I get hundreds. 
but uh, if I, I see something at the it. end, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if, if I uh, see something at the end, it makes me go, huh, you know, what does that mean? Or, huh, how does that apply to me? Or, wow, I hadn't thought about that. Um, it really, it's, uh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to a pause and uh, refresh the noodle, so to speak. Yeah, I love it. And I couldn't agree more, but how does this quote make you think? What is it about this quote you shared with us that made you look at the world differently and give you some different perspective? Well, well, first of all, I, I try to laugh as much as possible. And so I think it's funny. Awesome. Uh, getting bricks thrown at you, you know, it's a very <laughs> physical thing. You know, I could have been cast on pans in my youth, <laughs> but, um, I actually had a chef one time that threw a, a, a real chef knife oh, at man. me in a room service in the wall. So um, I kind of get it. But really, it's about it's all at the end of the day, it's about how you react. Mm. You know, how do you react to the situation you find yourself in? And this is a great way to react. You're getting a lot of negative energy. You're getting a lot of people putting you down. You're getting a lot of people telling you you're going to fail. And you look at it and go well, what can, what can I get from this? What can I learn that maybe I hadn't thought about this way of failing? Maybe I hadn't thought about that aspect of growth. And um, this quote, the beginning is successful. You know, I want to be successful, but you don't wake up and be successful. You got to put energy and thought and uh, a lot of effort goes in before anyone's successful. They don't just wake up that way. Absolutely. And so this kind of like, uh, says, yeah, you can be successful, but it's not going to be easy. There's going to be a lot of things along the way, but if you take those as pieces and, and build on them and learn from them, you'll be successful. I love it. I really do. And to me, listening to that quote, I just, one word optimism comes to mind and then just eyes to the future. Like, you know, you, all you can do is work with what you got. Um, you can't let the past hold you down, but you can learn from the past to, to do it better the next time out. Um, and awesome, exactly. awesome way to get this interview started. And chef, I, I was really like just interested with your, your early years of breaking into this industry. Um, so let's kind of dive into how you, you got started uh, in hospitality, in food and beverage and how you kind of transitioned from a part-time job to uh, making this your career. Well, when I was at school at A&M, I was working in the aerospace department, and I got to work in the machine department, so I got to build a lot of projects for uh, professors and grad students. All right. And I tell everyone I was at A&M, I was on the decade plan, and I got out early. I got out in eight years. Um, and working there was very creative. Like, I got to work on probes for the Martian atmosphere. I was part of the team that discovered the, the problem with the tiles coming off the space shuttle when it first went up, I actually got to work on a quarter scale model in a wind tunnel. You know, oh, wow. I got to work with hypersonic tunnels, which is like Mach three to Mach seven. Um, anyway, really cool stuff, but it was all very creative. And, uh, along the way I wasn't making enough money. So I got a part-time job in a restaurant, just washing dishes, mm -hmm. uh, mainly because the hours I was going to school so much, the hours were, uh, the first thing, it just, the timing was good. Yeah. But then over, over time in that restaurant, another creative outlet, I got to work with, so the guy that owned it owned like five other restaurants. And, uh, one day one cook didn't show up and they had me make sandwiches. And another day someone didn't show up and I was making something else. And one day the manager didn't show up and the owner said, Hey, would you help me run the place? And 
I was like, man, I'm going to be an aerospace engineer. I go, this is not my gig. <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, if you do this for this little bit of time through the summer, help me out. I can help you out when we go back to school. I'm like, all right. So that was kind of the first steps. But somewhere along that, and I always tell people, I was like, you know, I had a job in a restaurant where I got a meal. It was in a bar. I got to drink basically for free. And then I got a paycheck at the end of the week. <laughs> And I was like, I was like, what's not to love about this? Awesome. Um, so I did it for several years. Okay. Um, so uh, when I was looking at, at your story, um, it looks like uh, you had an opportunity to um, work on a project. Uh, and then you, or maybe you saw somebody working on a project that didn't get their funding. And that discouraged you knowing that you're entering into a career, potentially uh, aeronautical engineering, where you might be working on a project uh, that might lose its funding and all that hard work, everything that you were working towards might not come to fruition. So was that what did it for you? Is that what maybe was it the um, I guess the the bad news of one career that made you kind of lean more towards restaurants? Like where like where where did this real transitional point happen? That that's the fork in the road. Because okay. at that point, it's, I it was I was working for Boeing in uh, Seattle and Redmond, and it was uh, the early '80s, and uh, I was super pumped, you know, to go finally get to work in industry after all this time studying. And uh, I went, I got with this team, and they were like freaking depressed, like all day, all the time. And uh, basically, what had happened is, as you said, they had a project, they put a hundred, couple hundred million into it. And basically they were denied additional funding to complete the project. These guys are putting, you know, seven, eight years worth of their life in boxes. And I was basically putting them in a Quonset hut out on the tarmac to be stored for, you know, to the apocalypse. Right. And, um, it was very like, Oh man. And then also going into industry in the university, I was doing very creative high end stuff, working on, for oil rigs and trains and different you know models for wind tunnels and and what I was doing there was basically low level gopher okay. uh, no creative outlet so I decided I go you know what this isn't going to work for me uh, I'm not gonna uh, this isn't going to give me any joy this isn't mm. there's no passion here and what how old and, were uh, you when you when you started coming to this realization twenty uh, would have been about twenty four twenty five okay. All right, so um, you you come to the realization that, and I kind of picked up on this that I mean, you're a smart guy. Uh, clearly, you turned down uh, opportunities at MIT and Stanford too. So, it, but it seems like you know, you have that side of you, that intellectual side of you, but also it seems like you you make decisions with your heart. Is that safe to say? Uh, I do. I gotta say it's about balance. Okay. I, I don't. I uh, I do make. Uh, passionate decisions okay and i have people that look at me like you know you're just crazy but there's something about a leap of faith or there's something about it's not a leap of faith it's confidence it's a level of confidence mm -hmm. that the the path you're deciding to take is going to reward you with passion smiles laughs mm. and uh you know creative outlook Mm, I get it. So can you bring us to the moment, Chef, where you made the decision? Like, do you remember? Is there a point in time where you're like, all right, uh, you know, aeronautical engineering or aerospace is not for me? 
um, I I I want to pursue this passion of of cooking, or maybe one day owning my own place, or at least being an executive chef. Like, when did that moment happen for you? It was it was really when I spent that summer working uh, at Boeing and realized, like, okay, this is not going to work out. What else can I do? Mm. And at that point in time, I'd been cooking for five or six years in a couple of different restaurants. Okay. I had run some and managed some, and I'd been fortunate enough to have a couple of chef mentors at that time that really, you know, they would take me aside and go, hey, Jay, you really have a knack for this. You should really consider it. And I constantly, I mean, literally like three or four times, I can physically remember telling them, I go, you got to stop thinking like that. I'm going to be an engineer. <laughs> I know this is not my my path. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, through their experience and their insight, uh, when the time came, I'm like, okay, what else can I do? I was like, well, these guys said I have a knack for it. Let me check it out. And then, as is typical in our world, there was a girl, uh, and uh, I followed her to uh, Florida. Okay. And um, got this great job working for Club Corporation of America. Okay. Which back, which back then, it's basically it's private clubs, petroleum clubs funded by Texas oil for, you know, the short version of what they do. They're a really great organization. Gotcha. Um, and I went and I got a job uh, working for them uh, and it kind of changed things because there was a lot of regiment, there was a lot of creativity, there was a lot of uh, old school uh, learning. It was a fifth generation German chef. Okay. That's why I really learned a lot. Uh, of fundamental techniques from him, or, or I should say refine a lot of what I knew working okay. with him. So I, I kind of want to develop a timeline here. I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a little confused because um, I, doing my research, it looks like you, at one point, I think when you were 23, you uh, is what the article said, you were working at the Poconos. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> was this before you made the decision that you're done with uh, air engineering? Like, was that after? Well, that was right. That was right at the time. Um, so I was I, I was at A and M getting ready to graduate. And I, Boeing really like bummed me out. And a friend of mine who I was work, working at the restaurant with said, "Hey, I just inherited a bunch of money. My mom bought me a restaurant up in Pennsylvania. You want to come help me uh, operate it?" And I was okay. like, "Well, I don't I don't really have anything going on right now. Why not?" Yeah. So. I refer to that part of my life as local in the Poconos. Because <laughs> it's exactly what it was. It was very, uh, very interesting place, very interesting time. But we ended up with this restaurant, and no one was doing, at that time, Tex-Mex was unheard of. So we did kind of Tex-Mex Southwest cuisine, and we'd go to New York City and buy ingredients from little Mexican shops that no one knew about. And we basically took off, but it was, Pennsylvania is not a state. It's a commonwealth. <laughs> yeah. And um, they're just bizarre in the way they operate, particularly if you enjoy tequila and you have a brand that the state doesn't bring in. But uh, <laughs> one of the things they did was you could go to the bar at closing and order 10 shots, and the bar would have to stay open until you finish your 10 shots. So there were days, you know, I was working get up, lunch, happy hour, dinner, Closing down the bar, someone orders that, they leave it at four thirty five in the morning. I gotta get up at not eight at nine o'clock to get ready the next day. It was just killing me. Oh man. Um so I spent three or four months up there and it was me, this other guy, and this uh uh girl. Uh the three of us were kind of running it. We ran it all the time and we it was really fun because 
there's this sort of youthful exuberance in your early twenties that the energy level is just nonstop. Mm-hmm. And, um, we, a lot of mistakes. I mean, we learned a lot of things, um, an enormous amount of stuff that I still carry with me, but it's very, uh, it was very much, it was very, very hard. So let's put it that way. Real quick. Like, and I, I saw that you said, you know, you, at that point you knew a lot about cooking, but you knew very little about the business of running a restaurant. Um, so yes. two or three things real quick that we can take away that when reflecting back at that time, what were these things uh, that you learned? You said you learned a lot. Just give us some quick bullets of the big things you learned from that experience. Well, I learned I was really creative. Okay. Uh, as far as food goes, uh, more than I had suspected because of what we had to execute on short notice. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned I'm not a good bartender. Okay. So, so I should stick with food. Um, I also learned that even though I was creative and could do very creative stuff, unless your business is healthy, you're not going to be able to continue to be creative. So you have to find the balance between being a good business operator and uh, create good, uh, nutritious, uh, happy food. Um, so I had one piece, but I realized I was missing the other piece because some of the decisions that are made in a restaurant, you know, it need to be based on profitability. Mm. And we were making decisions that were based on creative happiness okay. and less about, um, profitability. And it was kind of a, a watershed moment where I got to find a balance. And when I just realized I needed more, uh, business understanding, uh, that's when I started looking around, you know, what can I do? Who can, I learned from who can I find to teach me uh, the business side. I go, I was willing to go in and work hard and, and be creative and do whatever they needed on the, the physical cooking side. But in return, more than a paycheck, I wanted the knowledge uh, to have my own restaurant one day, a successful restaurant one day. Awesome. And that kind of brings me to the next thing I want to talk about, which I think we kind of started talking about before. And I'll just quote uh, what you said in in an article I found online was um, what I did was I found some chefs that I really liked uh, what they were doing. And I worked for four different chefs for about two years apiece as a sous chef. And this one thing right here, whenever anybody asks me like, hey, I want to open a restaurant. Like, what do you think I should do? Where should I start? I'm like, what kind of experience do you have? Go find people who are doing what you love to do or what you think you might love to do and go, go work for them. Even if it's for free to get your foot in the door, get that experience, find a mentor. Is that what you would think? Is that safe to say? Is that what you were doing at that time? Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, self-education. Um, it's kind of, you know, <laughs> <laughs> It's, it, you need to understand about yourself what you know and what you don't know, which tends to be very hard for people. Yeah. Uh, because no one likes to admit their shortcomings. Mm. But because they fall under that four-letter word of fear. But if you look them at the face and go, man, I really I don't understand this spreadsheet at all. Um, and then you're like, I need to figure out the spreadsheet. And let's figure out who's going to tell me, the, who knows the spreadsheet the best? Who's been working on this spreadsheet forever? And you go and you dig into it with them. And two things happen. One, the person you're talking to, they feel valued for their knowledge. Mm -hmm. And two, you learn so much. So what I did was I had spent eight years becoming an aerospace engineer 
and I couldn't afford to go to a cooking school or I couldn't afford the traditional mm -hmm. uh, learning scope. I couldn't go back to being a line cook. I needed to, I needed to find a sweet spot where I could learn and also execute, but then, you know, make enough money to survive kind of thing. I mean, what you're saying right now just resonates specifically with me. I mean, that's, I think the, at the you know core of why I started a restaurant unstoppable because I, I was in your same position. I went to school. I created this massive debt for myself. I loved the industry, but I created a situation for myself that didn't allow me to do it the, the traditional way. So I had to get creative. And this, this podcast for me is that way of like what you did surrounding yourself with those people who know what to do. Um, but I mean, it, there's just so much power in surrounding yourself with other people in learning there's there's I, mean, I feel like so many people step get away from this industry because they're afraid that they won't be able to do it because of financial issues but i think you're another example of what can happen if you get creative and you just make it about learning in the beginning and constantly growing and becoming better do you want to reflect on that yeah it's 100 percent. i mean you can go on and it's like this you can go buy a car off a lot or you can go build that car yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to go try and build a car, you need to know a lot of different stuff and you need to figure out who knows that. And that's basically what I did is I found people who excelled, not were just good, but were excelled mm. at their specific um, skill sets. And the challenge for me was one, how to meet them. And then two, how to convince them that like, look, I'll stick around. I go, I'm here to learn first and foremost, and I'll stick around. Um, so long as I'm learning mm. and once the understanding was laid out that I'm here to learn, uh, I felt, okay, we, we, uh, understand each other and we can go from there. Mm. There were some people I thought would be great, but I went in and I said that and they said, sure. And then they weren't learn They weren't teaching, you know, they weren't, I wasn't learning anything. Um, was at that, at those periods of time, at the end of the day, as exhausted as I was, and I was working 80, 100, 110 hour weeks and, wow. I would still find time to write down what did I learn today? Mm -hmm. And what that did for me was it made me go, Oh, well, that was cool. I really liked learning that technique. I go, but how do I apply it? Or what happens if you do this? And it would generate these questions, which I would go back and, um, uh, pursue or ask or try to find the answers. And I mean, my, my favorite thing is asking questions that my mentors can't answer. Cause then I'm like, all right, I finally, I'm, I'm there. You know? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things I want to touch on real quick here. First, um, I think, I think a lot of people might find themselves in the same situation you're in where you get yourself in, you, you know, you get your foot into the door, you're in a situation and then you, you realize it might not be the best situation for you because you're not learning. I want to talk about how to back out of that in a way that won't burn bridges. Also, I want to talk about the power of writing things down. You said you found time to write down what you learned. So let's talk about those two things. First, how do you, how do you gracefully back out of an opportunity without burning bridges? Is that something that you, well, that you had to do a couple times? Yeah, I've had to do it both ways. Okay. Um, and I think the first time, one of the very first times I went to, I, you know, believe me, I'm not knocking on French chefs, uh, but I am on this case. I went to work to this one guy. He said, oh, yeah, I show you. I show you all this. I'm like, all right, great. I go in. And basically, he would turn his back to me and make all his sauces and his mise en place. And then he'd go, okay, this is it. And I'm like, I didn't see anything. And after three days, I said, chef, I go, I, I came here to learn. And I go, and you're, you're literally not only not teaching me, you're hiding stuff from me. Uh, I go, 
he's like, well, that is the, you know, that's the way I learned. And, you know, you have to, you, I can't just show you, you have to take two or three years before I show you. I'm like, well, no, I don't have two or three years. Mm-hmm. And I said, are you going to change? He said, no. And I said, okay, well, I came in with the understanding of this and you said that, and, well, the only option I have is to leave. And so adios. Okay. One big thing um, I think we can take from this before we move on, uh, or um, do you want to finish a thought? Am I going to derail you if I say something? Yeah, well, I, all I was going to say is if you go in and you explain yourself clearly okay. and you understand the rules of the game uh, or the expectations on both sides, um, you're much further ahead than if you don't ask the questions. Yeah. Uh, because at least there's an understanding you're working off of. Okay, beautiful. That's exactly what I was just about to say is go into the situation with a clear understanding of what why we're here so when things don't go a certain way you have something to lean back on and saying hey this was the expectation this is where we are i was expecting to be here now it's not you're not just you know uh abandoning ship uh and that reflects poorly on you when people take you in and you just say adios amigos um so just real quick summarize your approach uh to getting into these engagements where you can give yourself a safe exit strategy uh, very clearly outline your uh, desires, whether it's money, whether it's time, um, whether it's learning, and make sure the discussion is had by whoever your supervisor is or whoever's hiring you. Mm. Um, I've had some pretty crazy hirings over the years, uh, been hired over the years, but it's always done me in good stead. And basically, uh, what I would tell you is I go into those situations going, look, I know what I'm bringing to the table. I know my skill set. I know you won't find anyone harder working. I know you won't find anyone more observant or conscientious uh, or happy to, you know, happy worker. I go, that's what I'm bringing to the table. Mm. And I, but I go, what I don't know is what are you bringing to the table? You know, mm. um, I don't want to go into a restaurant that's abusive with chef knives, you know, throwing chefs and stuff. I'm not interested in that. Um, but I am interested, okay, what can I learn or what can I show or what's different here or um, how am I going to grow? What's yeah. going to be my takeaway? Awesome. And, and I, if you have that discussion, it sets the playing field differently. Absolutely. And kind of to feed off what you said earlier, um, what you, you need to know what you know about yourself and what you don't know about yourself. And when you figure that out, that's going to become leverage for you to sell yourself to these great opportunities and and you need to know what you're going to, you know, if somebody's teaching you what they know, if they're going to mentor you, don't go into that situation saying, how can you help me? But know what you can do to help that person too. What are you going to bring to the table? Uh, what benefit? So awesome stuff to take away from this already. Uh, uh, and real quick, um, I kind of talk about your habit of, uh, writing down what you've learned every day. Is that something you really did? Did you, did you carry your journal around and like reflect on every day what you learned? So I don't carry a journal around. I move too fast and I've lost too many in washing <laughs> machines over the years. Um, I can, it's sad. Um, but what I did is when I got home, when I sat down, uh, getting home, I had a pad, okay. um, that I would, I would just write things on and then typically, you know, fall asleep. I'd get up in the morning and review it. Okay. Um, but it kind of uh, it's kind of a little sidetrack here, but it's one of the things I try to get the chefs that worked under me, the cooks that worked under me to uh, to do. Mm. And one of the things I did with them was 
uh, I really wanted them to learn. As much as I wanted to learn, I wanted them to learn because they would push me to learn more. Mm. And one of the things I did very, very early in the game was I would buy everyone a copy of uh, The Kitchen Companion. Are you familiar with that at all? I- I'm not. Please explain. It's a, it's a little book. It looks like a little Bible. It's like four or 600 or 8 million pages. I don't know. Um, but uh, it was basically uh, an ingredient Bible of every ingredient and its seasonality and where it originated and how it's used and medicinal properties and, you know, blah, 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 blah. So what I did is I would buy copies of this book and give it to my cooks. And I would told them, I go, look, man, once a week, you can ask me any question out of this book. And if I don't know it, um, I will give you the day off and I will work your shift and I will pay you for the day. (laughs) So you get a day off paid if you can stump the chef sort of thing. And uh, they were like, really, chef? I'm like, yeah. So uh, every Monday, you know, the guy, they couldn't, they looked forward to more than a paycheck. I think some of these guys did because they're like, it was like, but I never had, I never worked a day for anybody. Thank goodness. Um, but, but they learned. I wanted them to learn. That was my goal. Oh, awesome. Um, that, that's such a, just a, I, I don't think we push each other enough today. Uh, and I'm, I'm finding that the restaurants <laughs> I interview, the people I interview, one of the things that makes them so great. I mean, there's a huge shortage with, uh, of people, talented, uh, people, passionate people, and what are you doing to, to feed those higher needs of the people that are working for you? Because uh, if you're not feeding those higher needs, if they don't feel like they're growing under you, they're going to go someplace else. And that's just one little trick yeah. you can do to keep people thinking and to keep people growing and learning. Awesome stuff. Um, well, well that's it. Keep them engaged. Keep them motivated. Or find out what their motivation is. Mm. You know, some guys just want to play soccer. Some guys just want to snowboard. Uh, but they have a really good skill set for sauces or salads or whatever, or bakery, you know. Um, and it's it's finding the motivation, uh, showing your enthusiasm, but it's also, it's risky. Mm-hmm. You know, you're putting yourself out there. You, you're, you're challenging yourself or, or telling people to challenge you to keep your game on, to keep on top of things. Awesome. Um, it's really cool. Awesome. I love it. Um, so, okay, uh, let's fast forward a little bit. Um, you're 23 years old, uh, and by the time you're 35, uh, you, you go you know, you know, go from knowing you're good at cooking but realizing you don't know much about the business uh, to the age of 35 where the, you're the executive chef and manager for the Cas, uh, Cas- Cascabel. Did I say that correctly? Cascabel. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah and, you're, and you were pinned at that time to do some pretty amazing things with your career. Um, so <laughs> – what happened in that 10, 12 year uh, span? Uh, what were your biggest lessons? How did you grow personally? How did you evolve in that time to, uh, you know, be in the position where people say you, you got what it takes. You're, you're going to do amazing things. Wow. Uh, I had deep really here, great. Me- <laughs> yeah, I know. I had, it's funny. You said, okay, let's fast forward to, 35, and I'm like, dude, you are not fast forwarding. <laughs> um, uh, so basically what happened is I, I found uh, I found some European chefs I worked for in Florida, and they were classically trained. One was the youngest certified chef ever in Europe, and they showed me a lot of finesse. Mm. So I was very busy with flavors, big and bold, and they basically took everything down to ingredient level, and I really learned to appreciate uh, individual ingredients for their own beauty and uh, uh, genuine uh, genuineness of the okay. uh, flavors. And then at that same time, 
the one of the guys there, the general manager, he who hired me, uh, once a week he would show me the P and Ls from like a year ago and would kind of go over it and he explained to me where the numbers came from, what made these numbers happen. And so I was learning a lot. Then I went to Texas and I worked under uh, Bruce Auden and he, uh, he got top chef, uh, top, I think it was like 83 or 84, uh, wine. And he was, you know, way out there, you know, it was like 16 steps to a plate, four or five sauces. And it was crazy what we did, but, um, he got national recognition for it. And I got to learn a lot of uh, layering and techniques. And, uh, I was also basically by default became the butcher there okay, doing a lot of wild game, but that came from another, the chef in Florida, there was a club there was called the Explorers club. Okay. And, uh, I was a line cook, you know, I can't remember six, eight bucks an hour, but every week at the Explorers club, they get these crazy things coming in. Like, one week it was a giraffe leg. Another week it was a lion. Another week it was a hippopotamus. Um, another week it was an alligator. Uh, wow. So, you know, these things, so even today on the internet, you know, how, you gonna, how do you cook a hippopotamus leg? You know, forget about <laughs> it. So what I did is I learned to, you know, uh, take the muscles apart, learn how the muscles are working, learn what technique would be best to apply to these things. And, and I, I learned a lot, but, I still dreaded coming in on Tuesdays when I come into the kitchen and I would never knew what was going to be on the table. Okay. Um, so I learned a lot from that. And then I worked with Bruce. I learned a lot of high end finesse stuff. Um, there was another chef I worked with uh, in my last years of college who was a self-taught chef. It was 45. His name was Pete Boris. He had a bunch of restaurants in Dallas, but he was a functional alcoholic. That's funny as hell. And, um, <laughs> he taught me never to follow a recipe and I never really understood what he meant until one day we had a, an event that was supposed to be for like 500 people. It was a brand new hotel opening up and they thought they'd do 500 people for mother's day. We ended up doing almost 5,000. Wow. And so everything, brand new hotel, a double stack of ovens fell over in the middle of service, you know, hams are rolling across the floor. We're running out of everything. And in the middle of this mayhem, he, uh, we were running out of bread. And he went and grabbed two sacks of flour, a bag of yeast, walked over to the mixer and just started dumping stuff into the mixer and, and then tasted it. Mm -hmm. And he kept tasting, tasting, a little salt, a little yeast, taste, taste, threw some water in, turned it on, took it out, had us all roll. This is in the middle of mayhem. I threw him in the oven. We had bread. Like, and I was like, holy smokes. And he explained to me later, he goes, that's what I mean about don't learn a recipe. He goes, if you need a recipe, you don't even have time to go find it. Mm -hmm. But if you remember the taste, you can build on it and recreate it, whether it's for 10 people or... 500 people. And I was like, wow. So that was kind of a hotel world and creative. And he always said, you know, Jay, you're really creative because I think outside the box, you know, to me, all these flavors and techniques are way to apply layers of flavor to things. Yeah. And um, understanding the nuances helps me create. So he was a pretty big influence in my early Years. And he said, I want to open up a cooking school and I want you to be a teacher. I was 23. You know, I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. He goes, you got more creative than I've seen in anyone. I was like, wow, thanks, chef. And they fired him not too long after for spending too much time in the hotel bar. But oh. <laughs> I learned a lot from him. Uh, so 
you, you learned a lot about cooking. Uh, you learned a lot of, of techniques. You evolved as a chef. What did you learn about yeah. leading others? Like, when did you really start to evolve oh. as a leader? And, I mean, that's a big part of running a business is so, being able to lead. So when did you start developing those man. skills? You know, I, I <laughs> I've always been a leader, like uh, a leader in the big picture. You know, even when I was in high school, I started a student council and I actually started a program to try and get the headmaster removed from our school. Um, uh, so I've all, I've always been kind of a, you know, what's the problem? What's the solution? How can we effectively make something happen? When I was younger, I was a little anxious and hot headed and didn't have enough knowledge, but I was always kind of a good listener and a, I had a good ability to look at a situation and, figure out a, a solution or a path of action from it. So when I started doing my own thing and becoming my own chef, uh, it really, the, the people piece of the equation really came to the forefront mm. and, uh, trying to figure out what motivates people was the biggest challenge with leading them because everyone responds to different, um, information. Uh, leadership. You know, some people like to be like soldiers. They just want to be told what to do. They don't want to talk about it. They just want to, you know, give me exactly. Yeah, all right, good. I'm done. Don't talk to me anymore. Or you have other people that there's this one guy. Oh man. He used to ask me like 10 questions every day and I would answer them all. Cause I wanted knowledge. And finally I noticed that a lot of the questions were the same question. And I told him, I said, look, dude, I go, here's the deal. You get three questions a day. That's it. <laughs> he's like what chef I'm like no you're wasting my time you're asking the same question you're not learning I go you get three he goes well the first thing he says to me goes well can I you know if I don't use three today can I have six tomorrow I'm like no I don't have time to figure out your goofy ass questions I go you get three a day and that's it every day it's fresh day and uh, what happened was he stopped and thought a lot about what he wanted to ask mm. me and his questions got a whole lot better and he really focused on what he wanted to learn. And then I would share with him. And then I would come back the next day and go, what were the questions yesterday? Do you remember them? You know? And so he really excelled um, from that, uh, that learning process. So leading people is finding out what motivates them or helping them. It's like a coach. It's like a mentor. You're trying to figure out from the outside, what do they need to grow? What do they need to ex- succeed? Um, and what piece of that do I have that I can show them? Um, it's very, uh, where do you start with this process of dissecting somebody to that level internally and to really find out what makes them tick? How do you, is it that, that instinctual thing or is there, is there a method to do this? You know, I would put it down to, it boils down to listening. Mm. Um, you gotta, you have to listen to figure out what's frustrating them. Mm. It's one of my questions that, I ask a lot, you know, sometimes just out of the, off the cuff and say, Hey, so what frustrated you today? And it'll be, so, and sometimes it's like really big stuff. Like, ah, the stove went down again and we can't get the burners to light. Or sometimes it's like, Oh my God, that electrical panel on the wall, it's just the, in the worst place. I've hit myself like six times today, chef, you know? So, uh, what I try to do is listen to that. And then I'll go do something goofy. Like I can't move an electrical panel in a hotel. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would go get yellow duct tape or pink duct tape and wrap the whole thing in it and put a note on it going, you know, this is for you, Frank, 
try not to hurt yourself, you know? <laughs> so what happened was we would laugh about it just like you did. It showed that I listened, mm. which sometimes is the most important thing. It also made everyone else aware of it. Like, Hey, this is, you know, a dangerous thing. And, and it's, it's showing caring. And it also would make them go, you know what? Chef actually heard what I said, which sometimes is the simplest thing that makes. And then when I needed something like, Hey dude, we got to bang out this banquet for two fifty, and I got like 32 minutes. You've got time to, Oh yes, chef. No problem. Um, so I built up, uh, not loyalty, but, uh, camaraderie. Um, and we would, we could motivate to get people done, but it's listening to the, what they're saying. And then the other thing is, is watching, uh, observing how they do stuff. You know, do they have good knife skills or observing when they're happy? Because if you can figure out what's making someone happy, and then you can offer that as, hey, you like doing that because you're happy. Look, if you do this for me, I'll let you do more of that, and you'll be happier longer. Mm-hmm. And, oh, the stuff you get out of that. Amazing. This is as, awesome. As far as, trying to, <laughs> as far as trying to show someone how to do it, I wouldn't know how to. It's like trying to train someone how to smile. Yeah. And then I can point out, I can point out some things you need to do or some things that might help you. But really, it's, it's listening with a clear mind without prejudice to try and get into whoever you're listening to, get into their shoes to understand their point of view, their position there. That sounds like uh, empathy. If you ask me, empathy. Yes. yes Beautiful exactly. stuff. Awesome. Uh, great stuff here, chef. I think we have time for one more big lesson, a failure, and then we're going to move on to the speed round. Uh, and I want to kind of zoom in on that transitional point from when you're, you know, uh, an, an executive chef and manager to when you transition to being uh, the a corporate chef for up to six restaurants at, at one time. Uh, yeah. So what was that transition like? And what were the biggest lessons you learned uh, about leadership and, and managing and uh operations from that transition? Well, the first thing I learned is you can't make everybody happy. Mm. Um, And you need to understand that and do the best you can to make people happy. But the ones that you can't, you kind of got to go, okay, I've made the effort and it didn't work out. The other thing is teaching people, not teaching, it is teaching, it's uh, expressing the expectation. Mm. Um, it, it's almost childlike in setting out whether it's a dishwasher or executive chef going, look, here's the expectation because a lot of times, you know, that classic assume people are coming in and they're assuming the job you're talking about is the same as the job, the last job they had, or there's a lot of assumptions about, uh, expectation or execution where I find if, the discussion is had of like, okay, here are exactly the expectations. Here's exactly what you're, the, the problem you're being hired to help uh, mitigate or solve or be involved in. And um, here's how we're going to measure success. Uh, here's how, uh, how we're going to check in. Here's how we're going to uh, discuss problems or challenges or uh, successes. And here's how we're going to learn from them. And you kind of go through that whole thing and it once, and you can tell when you talk to someone, whether they're engaged and listening to you or not, or you're getting the kind of, yeah, 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 whatever chef mm-hmm. sort of, uh, um, and you're like, well, and I'll call them on. I'm like, you know what? I don't really think you were here this whole time. I go, here's the expectation and we'll check in in a week. And, uh, 
And then as far as the teaching of that stuff goes, I mean, I would look at them and say, look, I go, I'm freaking super busy. I go, even more so now, the most important commodity that I have is time. Mm. You know, even me, you know, this interview with you, I was like, man, an hour out of my time? You know, who is this guy, Eric? <laughs> you know? Well, um, I appreciate you, Chef. I really do. And this is turning out to be gold. <laughs> no, I'm happy you took the time. And, well, no worries, <laughs> but it's, it's the most precious commodity I have. And it's something I watch very closely because mm-hmm. I used to do a lot of charity events. Um, and it was taking time from my family and taking time from other things that I found more important. So it's trying to find balance. Yeah. But if you understand the value of time, it's, it motivates you. And so what I would tell these guys, I'm like, okay, I go, I will, I will take the time to teach you. I got three times. First time is learning. Second time I'll watch. Third time you got to do it on your own and you need to be at a place where you can teach someone to do it. And if you're not, and I have to go to a fourth time, we need to figure something out because I'm doing everything I can to show you what uh the expectation is and either you get it or you don't some people get it so it's just it's you know we're humans it's the way it works what about resources Um, were you providing resources a way uh to uh the most important thing okay what what what, give us some example of resources you need to provide to be able to uh show your your people the picture of perfection well the first thing is you got to provide them with the tools Mm. they got to have the proper tools to execute if they don't have proper tools or you're constantly making them jump through hoops. Uh, you're not giving them a, a fair chance uh, of success. And, and in fact, you're setting them up for failure by not giving them the proper tools. What, do you, where, what are these uh, tools? What are we talking about? Uh, uh, working equipment, uh, proper floors, uh, lighting, uh, access to a computer, uh, numbers to make better decisions on buying or purchasing, uh, menu analysis. Um, those kind of tools. And even like what you said earlier, just the expectation, uh, a picture yeah. of what the job done right looks like. Uh, right. Awesome. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. Well, one of the things was years ago, there was a, I got luckily enough to be involved with the university of Nebraska for a program that's called colonology. And I taught a lot there for a group of kids. It's called nibbles, uh, okay. Nebraska youth leadership program. And I got everybody to look at this colonology program and the curriculum. And these are professors and academics, which, you know, honestly, I just love harassing and picking on because it's fun for me. But uh, in going through the curriculum, it really helped me going, well, someone's going to go to this program for four years. At the end of four years, what do they need to know to graduate? And what would benefit me after that four-year program? Or what would benefit someone else in the industry? And then going backwards and... Uh, dissecting it and uh, building, you know, all finding all the pieces and then finding how to set those pieces up so you, you develop a, a learning program. Well, that's a four-year program, but the same thing applies to making the freaking Hollandaise, mm-hmm. you know? You've got to have all the little pieces the, in place and you've got to line them up in the correct order mm-hmm. to end up with the goal, whether it's Hollandaise or whether it's a 40-year degree. And um, that's kind of what I try to do is figure those pieces out, look at, you know, what's ticking, what's there and, and going from there. So. Yeah. Uh, awesome. It's just, yeah, it's, 
at this point in the game, for me, it's kind of second nature. I hear you. Um, I mean, that's great advice. I mean, you, you can't expect – like I, I, people fall short all the time, I feel like, when leading of really being crystal clear of what the expectation is and really providing, uh, if you will, uh, the banks to a river. Like you – you, you, if you don't provide some kind of structure, some kind of way to lead, to guide uh, people to in the right direction, it's going to be like herding cats. It's going to be like a flood. You're like the water is going to go all, all over the place, and everything's just going to be unorganized. Like you need, like you said, yeah. like the curriculum. You you need to set them up. You need to give them those those gates to go through. Um, so beautiful stuff. Yeah. Um, any other big lessons you want to drop on us real quick before I have you share your failure? Well. Uh... You know, I worked for HEB in, in Austin, Texas, and I had a, my staff, I had 172 cooks in a 24-hour kitchen. And we were serving between 25,000 and 30,000 meals uh, per week. Um, it was freaking unbelievable. And at that time, getting everything organized was the hardest thing with all these, all these people going different ways. And, mm-hmm. and then the hardest thing as a chef is, delegating, mm. uh, learning how to let someone else fail, let someone else make mistakes, let someone else learn, mm. you know? And it's kind of like you, you watch them, you kind of keep an eye on them, and you don't want to be the naysayer, but you want to be the like, hey, that's hot, you might get burned, or you know, you're keeping an eye on this, it's fixing the boil over. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that kind of thing that really makes the difference and, and then applying it evenly across the board. You can't, you know, favor the dishwasher and yell at the line cooks or yell at the chef. You, you can't, yelling doesn't work. You gotta, you gotta, um, uh, again, you gotta figure out how to talk to people and you gotta figure out what's motivating them because if you talk to people in that fashion as equals, um, you're gonna get much further and learn much more and get much better results than if you're yelling and screaming at someone and, Awesome. I love it. So, I mean, we, we can learn a lot at looking at someone's career, looking at the successes, looking at the lessons learned along the way, but I feel like we learn the most um, from the failures of other people. And I think we, in ourselves, we, we personally learn the most from our own failures. So share a failure, Chef, something you did wrong when you're reflecting back at your career where, you know, it, it kind of just makes you, you know, like squirm on the inside, uh, something that happened in the past uh, and reflect on that failure and how it's made you better today. <laughs> failure. I've never failed. Every failure is a success. <laughs> just dressed up differently. Well, um, there's some truth to that, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, failures, failures are awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, the most spectacular failures are the ones that you don't see coming. Mm. Um, because those are the ones that, present the greatest opportunity to learn. And I'm all about learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to think, you know, I've had a couple of really cool failures over the years. Uh, one of the ones that comes to mind is there's a restaurant I took over in San Antonio. And at that time I was kind of the young buck hot chef. And, you know, I was in my late twenties, early thirties. People had, uh, people knew me and liked me, liked my food, liked what I was doing. And, I got into this situation where there was a really cool, beautiful restaurant, a really nice, quaint neighborhood. And I was like, oh, this just feels so good. It's so nice. It's you know, beautiful. I would love to come here every day and work. And, but what happened was there was financial uh, difficulties. And uh, the first shift that had went in, and 
had spent literally hundreds and thousands of dollars. Like I'll tell you the extreme on this one, which was awesome, was the guy actually took his Hobart mixer, his KitchenAid mixer, and took them to a uh, car shop and had them painted the same color. <laughs> you know, I'm like, really, people? Is that the way you want to spend your money? Oh. But what happened was I went into the situation thinking I had all the skill set to do it and a lot of you know good understanding. But what I didn't get was I wasn't shared the full picture on the financials. Okay. So within a month or two, even though the restaurant had, was turning around and the numbers were going up and stuff, there wasn't enough funding to keep people's paychecks going okay. um, through the transition. There wasn't, there was so much debt that needed to be serviced that no matter how well I did what I was doing, I was never going to get ahead. I was always oh, going to be um, uh, financially burdened with the same debt that you, you know, whether it's college or something else. And, but it wasn't shared with me from the get go in a proper fashion. Okay. So what was your so big three, failure here? Sorry. Is there more to it? Uh, my big failure was not asking the right questions and not digging deep enough into the financial side. Okay. Uh, um, and my, my biggest failure was, you know, assuming, uh, that everything that I was told was, uh, as, as I was told, and that wasn't the case. Mm. Um, so the failure was not asking, uh, better questions, um, and not investigating further, uh, the actual situation, because if I'd known some of those things at the beginning, I would have structured the expectations differently mm. going into that project. So doing your due diligence uh, is, is what I'm hearing from you, making sure that yeah. uh, you're, you're not going in blind, make sure you're protecting yourself. Uh, so you can do, yeah. you, you know, you, you can do what you got to do. Yeah. Cause what, ha- what happens, what happens with that is you always look at the rosy side. You know, you, you're looking at all the fun you're going to have. You're looking at, you know, all the creative stuff you're going to get to do, but you're not looking, which blinds you to some of the stuff that are going to impede that progress process. Um, and so the thing, I guess what I would tell you is when I'm going into situations like that these days, when everyone's happy and it's all rosy and the world's bright and there's money in the bank is that I plan for the divorce <laughs> and I have the tough questions of like, okay, if this fails, if this goes wrong, if you don't like me on Monday or if I start drinking a, you know, or whatever it is, how are we going to uh, dissolve the situation? Uh, and those questions, as hard as they are, are much easier to have when everyone's all happy and giddy than when the, the ship is sinking or the building's crumbling um, and there's a lot of brick throwing going on. So, again, it's, it's having uh, forethought and planning ahead and asking the right questions can uh, help you succeed better. Awesome. I love it. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to bust out a fast speed round. When you're running a busy restaurant, it's pretty hard to find time for training. Well, Tipsy has a whole library of video courses from industry experts, including world barista champions, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Get your staff watching Tipsy courses and watch their growth help your business. With Tipsy, scheduling training, tracking skills growth, and measuring engagement is a piece of cake. In the hospitality industry, we never have enough time, so training often falls away. But as management legend Andy Grove says, the only two ways to improve performance are training and motivation. Tipsy provides both. 
Click the tipsy banner in the show notes to find out more. Because your restaurant unstoppable listeners, you'll receive a special 50% off your first month. What are you waiting for? Get on it. So we're back. And the first question I have for you, Chef, is what is a knit factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe contributes to your success? I would say listening, mm-hmm. um, un- unbiased listening. One of the things I've seen with people that listen is they, as they're listening, is they're, constant, they're almost like responding immediately with their perceptions or experiences mm-hmm. or attitudes. But really listening without uh any sort of perception to to be empathetic to who you're listening to. Awesome, I love it. Um, it's it's sincere. You're going to learn a lot from it uh, for from, for yourself, but also about who you're dealing with, and it, it's growth. It's mutual growth. Awesome. So listening closely. Awesome. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? Uh, my biggest weakness is not saying no. Mm. Um, I am. I I think every opportunity that comes my way is something I should explore. Um, but unfortunately I don't have time for them all. And there've been times where I was going to get no tattooed on the palm of my left hand. So <laughs> that when I get these things, I can just look at it and go, what's your answer? But it's so negative, you know, and so, it, it limits your opportunities. So you obviously didn't get the tattoo. So what are you doing to help you say no now? <laughs> um, I basically try to hit the pause button and I try to stay off the radar so people don't find me. Mm. Um, I get plenty of people that know where I am and what I'm doing. Well, you're you doing. <laughs> Sorry, finish your thought. I get plenty of crazy uh, opportunities and offers um, that I try to make it more yeses than noes. And it's just I limit my exposure. Mm. Uh, and by limiting my exposure, it limits the amount of noes I would need. Awesome. I guess is the way I have to answer that. <laughs> I just wanted to say you're doing a great job because I really had to dig around to find information to do my research on this interview, but I got it and it was awesome. Um, but it, it, <laughs> you have been it's off the pretty, radar. <laughs> it's pretty crazy what's out there. I keep telling people more people know me around the world than in the U.S. Yeah, <laughs> um, I teach anywhere from 500 to 800 chefs a year. I literally have just been in 14 countries in the last four months. Um, wow. And I was I was just in a restaurant where. It was my fourth time in the last 20 years, and there's still six guys there, still working there, that remember me from my first trip. And my greatest joy is asking, well, what do you remember? And they would tell me a sauce or a technique or a chili or an idea, and I look at them like, wow. And then they look right back and they go, well, chef, what do you got for me now? (laughs) And I'm like, perfect. I go, I got some really cool stuff. Let me go. uh, But anyway, that's yeah, sorry. I guess. No, it's fine. It's it's great. Uh, so what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? Um, I guess the, I, I'm not a fan of the word empathy, but understanding, um, listening to what motivates others. Because honestly, if you can figure out what motivates, what motivates somebody, if you can figure out what gets them up and passionate and glad to be alive on any given day, you can play to that meaning you can encourage that and you know what um, you know what the joy is and what's going to motivate. It takes time because it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. But once you figure that out and you can, you know, there was a guy, you know, he was a football fanatic. I don't watch football. But he wanted Monday night off to go with football. I said, look, here's the deal. If you do this, I'll always give you Monday night off. He's like, really, chef? I'm like, yeah, no problem. 
There was another guy when I was in a ski resort. He loved skiing. I go, I don't ski. I don't snowboard. I go, here's the deal. I'll go work all day. I'll get everything set up. You come in from skiing and snowboarding. And when you get here, I'm just going to stay through the first part of service and you close it down. Sure, chef, no problem. So I win, he won. It's, it's just listening to what motivates people and then figuring out how to apply it. There were a lot of other chefs that were super mad at me because they all wanted to go skiing during the day and wanted those guys working, but those guys didn't want to be working. So I ended up with a line up the door. People wanting to work for me. <laughs> uh, I have many, many great stories. Uh, um, and there was a hotel I went to in Beijing. I was doing a thing there for a few weeks, and it was really crazy uh, time uh, working in a communist hotel with uh, American administration. And um, anyway, there was this one cook, uh, cook dishwasher, and I can't remember his name right now. I think it was Chen, Chen, Chen. Um, but he was a dishwasher. And this hotel was huge. It had 1,200 employees. You know, they did banquets for like four and 5,000. It was crazy, this place. And I talked to all these chefs on the communist side, on the American side, going, yeah, oh, this guy, he's the laziest guy on the planet. And I'm like, really? So finally, I went to one of the cooks who spoke English or Chinese. I went to him, I go, hey, where's Chen? He goes, well, he's in the dishwasher. I go, let's go. I want to go watch him. He's like, okay. So I went down there, and I just stood in the corner. I just watched him for like 10 minutes. Okay. And on, the, on his uh, dirty dish tray, he had all these stacks of plates. And some were plates, some were cups, some were B&Bs and soup bowls and, you know, and everything would stack up there, and all these guys would drop the stuff, and he would just stack them up, and he wouldn't do anything. And I was like, wow. And so finally, I went with the guy over. I asked him, I went to the chest, and I said, ask Chen, why, why is, what's going on? Why is he stacking and not washing? And so Chen looks at me and looks at him and goes, well, this rack only holds eight soup bowls, and so I don't wash them until there's eight to fill the rack, so I wait till I have enough. Because these plates, there's 24 in a rack, but there's only 22 here, so I'm waiting for two more plates, and then I'll wash them. Wow. And then he goes, when it, when it comes out, and I put them over here, I goes, here's the way they stack on the shelf. These plates only stack in tens, and now I have 22, so I have to make sure I have these stacks right. And he goes, in these bowls, they only stack five high, but the shelf is only set for four, so I have to stack them like this. Wow. That's... And I was just like, holy <laughs> smokes, man. And then... So basically everything he did wasn't about being lazy. It was about being extremely highly efficient. Yeah, and intentional about everything he's doing, just all planned out. That's yeah. amazing. The thing that blew me away was he knew how much detergent he was going to go through per number of uh, racks going through the dish machine. Oh, wow. And I was just like, holy smoke. So I left just shaking my head going, wow. <laughs> so I, w I went to the executive chef and I said to him, his name was Andrew Yu. I said, Andrew. He's like, wow. And I go, I go, remember that time we served the prime minister of China? He's like, yeah. I go, remember what a cluster that was? He's like, yeah. I go, well, I got one I got to show you. He's like, what? I go, I want you to come see Chen. He's like, Chen? I go, yeah, the, the laziest guy on the planet. He goes, you don't need a dishwasher. And he just goes, oh, you know, you know, he goes, that guy, blah, blah, blah. You know, we can't fire him, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, look, do me a favor. Humor me. Give me 10 minutes and let's go down. <laughs> so we went back. I got the same cook. We went down to chat. I asked the same questions again. And Andrew Yu, his face just like changed. And, and he started saying something. I go, Andrew, I go, shut up, dude. I go, I wanted to finish this piece. And so he goes through everything. And at the end, Andrew's like, holy smokes. I'm like, right? <laughs> and he's like, he goes, well, let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm like, what's going to happen? He goes, well, we're, we're doing kind of uh, promoting people to recognize uh, people and, you know, employee of the month kind of thing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. He goes, this guy's going to be employee of the month. I'm like, wow. 
He goes, we're also starting a committee for looking for hotel opportunities for saving and efficiencies. And I go, this guy's going to be the leader of that group. <laughs> I'm like, wow. That's so I was awesome. like, that's so cool. Oh, man. So within a week, this guy that everyone thought was the latest guy to plan it, all of a sudden the chef's a, uh, a promoter or a sponsor for it. And um, everyone's just shaking their heads. I can't believe like you know. So anyway, at the end, I was getting ready to leave. I've been, I was there for a couple of weeks. And at the end, I went to, to Chen and I said, hey, Chen, I just wanted to tell you thanks. And he looked at me because you want to tell me thanks? I go, yeah, I go, you've taught me so much. Um, <laughs> I, I will never forget this lesson. I'm going to carry this lesson for the rest of my life. And he was like, no, chef. He goes, it's I who must thank you. I was like, why is that? He goes, well, because I've been working here like 20 plus years and I've only been a dishwasher my entire life. And everyone here hates me. I have people spit at me. I have people yell at me. They come up to call me names. Um, he goes, but you came and asked some questions and now everyone wants to come learn from me and I feel I have value. Wow. And I was just looked at him. I was like, wow. That's awesome. I go, dude, I go, I'm so glad I had something to do with that, but I don't think I had much to do with that other than just wanting to find out who the laziest guy on the planet was. <laughs> so anyway, that was, that's what I wanted to share with you. In just one sentence, chef, what's the big lesson, uh, from this story? Everyone has a story and don't assume what you're seeing is the story. You have to ask awesome. and listen. Beautiful. Uh, what is a current challenge uh, you're seeing in the industry and what's your advice to handle that challenge? Things are moving really fast. Uh, what I wrote down for me was uh, my challenge is painting the perfect job, whether it's for myself or for you and trying to figure out what the motivations are trying to figure out what the, uh, you know, what, what gets you excited is the hardest thing. And then once you, it's sometimes it's easy to figure out what's getting you excited, but then it's how do you apply it or where do you learn it or how do you get to do it? Um, so that's key. And for me, part of that is from my engineering background is, you know, resources and references and mentors mm. is figuring out what you really like, figuring out who's doing it really well. And then figuring out how you can learn from them. Sometimes it's buying the book. Sometimes it's watching the show Sometimes you're lucky enough to go actually get to hang out with uh, with them and, and watch them. Awesome. Um, but so yeah, painting a perfect job is the challenge these days. Beautiful. And uh, what is one thing besides food the restaurants you've worked in have done really well that separated you from other restaurants? You know, the restaurants up here. We at the low season we have 50 employees. At high season we have close to 500. Wow. And so every year we hire four to over 400 employees all across the board. So the, the one thing that we did differently from everyone else is we hired people that smiled. Mm. If you came in smiling and bubbled with a good attitude, I can train you, but I can't train people to smile. Awesome. I can't train people to have hospitality. So I would, we would hire smiles and then train, teach them to expectations. And then we really focused on how do you train? How do you teach? Uh, what are the best methods because everyone learns differently. Some people are hands-on. Some people want the book. Some people want a, you know, a podcast. Um, <laughs> and, and trying to figure out what it is and then applying that and, and on the different ways so that at the end of the day, everyone is kind of all, is, is on the same page. Um, so that's what we do differently is hire smiles and focus on training and what the training goal is. What do they need to know to operate in the restaurant culture that we have?
Beautiful. And what is one book that's a must read uh, to become a better person and to just generally improve yourself to be a better restaurant owner or manager? Oh, geez, man. You know, I, I have all the questions you sent me. Funnily enough, this is the hardest one for me. I literally, I literally have over 3,000 books. As I look at my desk right now, I've got about 12 books I'm reading. I read different books for different things for what I want. I mean, I would tell you one of my favorite books is a book called The Gift uh, by Lewis Hyde. It's all about the value of the gift. Um, it's a really, really cool book. It's very inspiring about whether the gift is cooking or whether the gift is painting or writing. A brilliant book. And then the other book I would recommend is there's a book called uh, The Twinkie Deconstructed. Um, the Twinkie Deconstructed? A, yeah. Awesome. It's a book, uh, again, this guy, his daughter, six-year-old, go, hey, Dad, what's polysorbate 60? And he looked at the Twinkie label and decided to research every ingredient on the label. And he wrote a book. And basically, Twinkies, you know, 80% of the items in a Twinkie are mined. Mined, as in dug out of the earth. What? Um so he went through every single ingredient, went through how it's processed, where it's made, where it's sourced, where it comes from, how it gets together, how they make a Twinkie, what makes a Twinkie. The book is brilliant. It's the most brilliant deconstruction you will ever read in your life. Uh, the last book I would recommend, which I found very, uh, which you will appreciate, is a book called Checklist. Okay. Um, it's what pilots use to fly before they take off. They have a, a, a pad of yeah. questions they have to go through before they take off. Um, this is a great book for looking at uh, decision-making, looking at uh, problems that have happened in the past and how to make sure they don't happen again. Clearly in a plane, you don't want to fall out of the sky, but clearly in a restaurant, you don't want hollandaise with breaks every day. And so it's kind of a, a very uh, methodical look at how decisions are made and how to make better decisions and how to create checklists to ensure uh, you don't miss anything. Is it is it called just the checklist? Is it it's not the checklist manifesto? Uh, is it? Oh, uh, manifesto. It might be the checklist manifesto. Okay. Uh, is the guy Abrams? I can't uh, remember who's the author. Uh, Atul Gawande is the checklist yes, manifesto. That's it. That's, yes, yes, the checklist manifesto. That's it. Great book. Awesome book. I one hundred percent agree with you. Uh, first of all, first time mentions. Uh, Twinkies deconstructed in the gift. First time mentions. Can't wait to dive into those two. But yes, um, the checklist <laughs> manifesto uh, is such an awesome book. I feel like people sometimes feel like if you make them do a checklist, you're saying, "Hey, I don't trust you to you know close up shop today." Um, so here's a checklist because oh. you know you're not capable. Oh. But here's the oh thing: like oh. coming from an aviation background, like I'm used to using checklists, and these are people who I mean, pilots aren't assumed to be stupid but we never once took it that way as like you don't trust me to do the job so i'm using this it's, it's just we're human we make mistakes we miss things, yeah, mistakes, we, things. and i think i, I feel well, like you want to chime in so now I'll, I'll let you have it sorry I just yeah i'm like you got me all fired up here now <laughs> so I'm basically so that's it it's about change yeah uh, one of the things when i worked at when i worked for heb and they they recruited me they really went way out of the way to hire me that's a story unto itself but uh, I asked them, they go, well, what title do you want? I said, well, I want my title to be agent of change. <laughs> and they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be the chef. I want to be an agent of change because you're trying to change this. You're trying to change that. I go, make me the agent of change. So they said, okay. So I, had st- I literally had business cards that said, Jay McCarthy, agent of change. And what it did was when I went into a place, I'd give them my card. I go, well, I'm here to make changes. And people, here's the reaction. People like change. People are like, oh, no, I like what I'm doing. I don't want to change. 
And then you get some people who are kind of on the fence. Like, yeah, let's see what the change is before I make my mind up. But it set the groundwork. People knew I was there to change things. Mm-hmm. And if I wasn't changing things, I wasn't doing my job. That's that. the same thing with a checklist. Mm-hmm. Some people resist it because like, oh, I don't know how to do this. I don't need a damn checklist. I'm like, yeah, I go, well, look at it this way. It's just to make sure you don't miss anything and it's easy. Mm-hmm. I go, if you got it, you know, there's no sweat on it. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, but if you miss, if one day you forgot to put the potatoes in, then all of a sudden we don't have potatoes, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, it's getting people to not look down on it or not look like I'm not trusting them, but to look at it as it's actually a tool to help them. And it's a tool to take some worry off their mind. But they always got this list. They don't have to, con- they don't have to, you know, donate a bunch of gray matter in their head or, you know, put a couple noodles to the specific problem. Yeah, you know, it's right there on your, your checklist. And, like, if you look at it, like, people who in industries that use checklists, pilots, doctors, engineers, like, these aren't stupid people. They're, they're using these checklists because they take their jobs seriously and there's a certain yeah. level, there's a certain standard, a certain expectation uh, when you yeah. when you do take your job seriously that you're trying to meet. And that just ensures that everyone's meeting the expectation. And if you take your job seriously, then you should have no problem using that checklist to make sure that at the end of the day, everything's where it belongs, done right, and everyone's on the same page. Um, it, it, it's about it's about accountability. Absolutely. You're holding yourself accountable, <laughs> and you, and that's the biggest thing. It's it's a, a great uh, measure of accountability. And you know, who wants to make mistakes? I mean, pilots and doctors; those are life and death mistakes. You know, yeah. a chef or a cook. You know, you might make someone sick, or you might you know disappoint someone by not having a dish. But it's not any less important. Absolutely. I'm loving this. I'm loving it. So uh, what is one technology uh, that really has your attention right now that's really making restaurants run more efficiently, more effectively, and more profitably? Um, I'm really into some, uh, like what Hot Schedules is doing as far as communicating uh, effectively, schedule, schedule changes, Mm. um, the ability for the restaurateur to monitor labor and uh, forecast and project. Uh, I really like a lot of those pieces. There's some really cool stuff going on with the uh, point of sale. Mm-hmm. Um, like what? Uh, that, um, well, getting, you know, in Europe and the rest of the world, going to the table, uh, having your credit card never leave your site, never leave the table is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's starting to change over here. So I really enjoy that piece of the puzzle. Um, are, are there and, any uh, technologies specifically on our side of the pond that are doing this well that you can think of? There's a lot of handhelds out there. Um, I'll throw one out that comes podcast. to mind. Um, one that comes to my mind is Toast. I think they're doing a really great job at Toast, Toast is doing a great job. Absolutely yeah. agree with you there. Absolutely. It's, you know, I'll, I'll sidetrack. One of the – when I was at HCB as chef, as agent of change – one of the issues was creating something and then being able to sell it because in a retail environment, I needed a label. I needed to get it on the cash registers. And so I couldn't just make it and sell it. It was like a two or three day process to get this done. And in the process of that, I, I tried to figure out what the problem was. Why couldn't we get it done faster? And it was getting the information to the people that needed to load it into the point of sale system. And, and in the process, I realized one of the things we could do was get the people we buy our product from, the farmers involved where when as soon as it showed up, it became listed as an ingredient so that I could cut the time down for it to hit a cash register. 
So it was finding out who the decision makers were to resolve this problem okay. and cut the time down from days to hours. Mm. Um, so there's technology out there that's really, really helping that. Uh, one of the other ones I was just thinking of is food logic, okay. uh, which is all about traceability of ingredients. Um, so if you have an issue like, you know, hate to knock Chipotle with E. coli, which never actually got resolved, um, but knowing where all the sources of your ingredients are, are going to become more and more important mm. as we progress here. Absolutely. And, and uh, the ability to, like in Europe, when I buy produce in Europe or I buy anything in Europe, it'll list the country of origin, organic or not, um, prices, date of harvest, things like that. The invoices are crazy awesome. Here in the U.S., you get an invoice, yeah, you got some carrots. Well, <laughs> I don't know where they came from. I want, you know, it's, it's just a different level of, uh, expectation. It's also a different level of operation. Hmm. Um, and the sustainability, I can go on and on about that. Uh, some of the sustainable resources that are out there that really aren't that sustainable or promotes the whole discussion of what is sustainable and what is not. Hmm. You know? Maybe that's a topic for another day. If you don't mind coming back, well, who knows? Time is important. I know you value yeah. your time, but I would, <laughs> I love, do, I I would love to pick your brain on that. And, uh, those are all the questions. We're just going to wrap up with a few last questions. You've been amazing. I know we're over our time, but you were just going on a roll. I did not want to stop you. And uh, I mean, if, if you could go back in time, Shep, and just give your past version, uh, you know, your, the 23-year-old version of yourself, and you're just starting to really commit to this industry, one piece of business advice, what would it be? I would say to remember that life is fluid. Uh, change is inevitable. Things, you know, there's no constants. Um, and to flow with it, mm. to uh, it kind of embrace it and um, go around the rocks rather than try to beat through the rocks. Be the water going around the rock rather than knocking your head on something that isn't working. Uh, try to figure out, realize that sometimes those setbacks are there for a reason. Maybe you don't know it. Maybe you can't see it. But it's just a divergence in the path that you need to learn something else before you can get to the next place. Beautiful. And if there was one question I could have asked you that would have brought more value to this interview, what would it have been? Um, I wrote two things down to that. One was, you know, what supercharges your passion? You know, when you get up in the morning and you're having those first conscious thoughts, there's this book I love. It's called Falling Awake. And it's about how things should be as easy as when you wake up. It's not like you you have a whole motivational discussion before you open your eyes. You just open your eyes and it's done. Um, so I, I always say, you know, what supercharges your passion? When you get up in the morning and uh, if and maybe I should say, what does your perfect day look like? You know, um, and paint that picture. You know, if you want to go running in the morning or you want to go make sure you don't miss happy hour or you want to create a bunch of dishes or you want to go to a farm, whatever it is, figure it out and try to make that happen more often than not because it'll lead to other things. All of a sudden, you might not want to go to the farm. All of a sudden, happy hour, you don't want to see those same people, but it'll help you grow and um, understand uh, yourself better. So, Chef. And it's basically what I do. I mean, what what supercharges your passion? Uh, learning. Mm. Knowledge. Uh, I'm very, uh, very keen on, if someone tells me something, I want to know that that's exactly correct. I want to know the science behind it. I want to know what, what's the reasoning, what's the truth behind it. And so I really investigate a lot, uh, research a lot of statements 
um, to validate validate them. And uh, from that, I'm able to use that knowledge and apply it to other things that uh, come across my path. Awesome. And you said you had two things. And I mean, I'm here all day. I'll let these go forever if you let me. But uh, if you want to share another thing, I'll, I'm all for it if you have it for us. Um, the other thing was, you know, <laughs> what does what does your perfect day look like? If you actually take the time to figure this out, what you'll find is your passion should show up. You know, you'll often hear people, you know, trying to prioritize, you know, is it family, is it bike riding, you know, is it cooking? Um, it's all about balance. It's all about balance. And if every day was perfect, you wouldn't have anything to measure it against. You've got to have bad mm-hmm. days. But you gotta you gotta look at those bad days and like, wow, that was certainly no fun. And I don't, you know, I my my saying is I'm uh, I'm on my third Monday this week, you know. Um, it's looking at it, going, okay, why am I on my third Monday? What is making it a Monday again? And then looking at that and trying to figure out what, if anything, you can do to um, to change it, you know. And it's it's Eric. At the end of the day, it's this. It boils down to how do you react? It's actually the only thing you have control over. Absolutely. It's so true. Um, uh, it's so, so true. So if, if you react and you're pissed off, well, you're going to be pissed off. And you, then you've wasted whatever amount of time being pissed off. But if you react and going, wow, what do I need to learn from this? What is somebody trying to show me? Or, you know, it's, it's, it's a game changer. Absolutely. Um, it's a, it's a, so that's what I try to, uh, monitor is how I'm reacting to things and then asking myself what is causing me to react that way, good or bad, and um, evolve. Yeah, you know? Chef, we're at almost an hour and a half, and it's been an amazing yeah. hour and a half. You've just been pouring gold, amazing advice, uh, j- just great stuff here you shared with us today. And we're going to wrap it up, and we wrap up every episode by just calling somebody out. So who is one uh, person in this industry uh, who's just doing amazing things and think would be – you think would be just a great guest mentor like you've been for us today. This is how I met you, by the way. <laughs> you know, there's some really, uh, I'm very lucky with the people I get to uh, interact with in this industry. Um, there's a really good friend of mine, Russell Cody, uh, corporate chef for uh, Landry's group. Uh, there's another really good friend of mine, uh, uh, McDowell uh, in Hong Kong, uh, who is just brilliant. Um, and then there's another really good friend of mine, Masi, who just became the chef of the peninsula in Tokyo. Uh, they all have different uh, expertise, uh, different approaches, different uh, personalities. And so they accomplish things differently. But I learned from them in the way uh, the way they execute, mm. the way they get things done, beautiful, um, is what I'm still learning from these guys. So anyway, if I, was, I, I, would, I would just throw Russell out there. He's probably the Russell Cody is probably the easiest. Uh, um, you got it. So that's the other guys are different time uh, zones. Russell Cody, uh, you said McGow and uh, Masi. I think I said those. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Masi. Masi is an Italian okay. chef. Uh, he's he's in a recently took a job with uh, the peninsula in Tokyo. Uh, awesome. 
All right, guys, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And, Chef, just let the folks at home know how – I know you'd like to stay off the radar, so you don't have to give out too much information. But <laughs> if, if anybody wants to connect, if anybody wants to take the, the conversation further, maybe somebody uh, – you had mentioned earlier that you're between opportunities right now, so maybe somebody, somebody might have an opportunity for you out there. Uh, how can we connect? <laughs> the best way to get a hold of me is uh, Texas Chef at uh, Hotmail. All right. Um, I got that. I got that name when the internet was in its infancy, <laughs> which is how come it's so nice, nice. and clean. Um, but if they send me something there, I mean, I check it. You know, pretty frequently. I had five different emails when I was in China. They would always check my uh, Gmail and uh, MSN. I'm like, so anyway, Hotmail's the way to go. Texas Chef at Hotmail. All right. Uh, send something there and I'll be glad to Texas chef at hotmail.com. I'll have that in the show notes and uh, chef Jay, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you value time. We appreciate you so much for sharing your knowledge, your, your, your wisdom, your mentorship. <laughs> there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Um, I, where do you want to start? <laughs> this, this was such an awesome uh, discussion with today's guest, Jay McCarthy. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, I mean, I think we'll all agree that what really stood out uh, in this episode is his emphasis on listening and uh, taking the time to fully understand the situation before you, you pass judgment. And I can't help but think of one of those seven habits from Stephen R. Covey, which is first seek to understand, then seek to be understood. Uh, and, you know, don't just jump to conclusions, but really reflect on the situation and make the best decision uh, with unbiased, uh, you know, uh, filters. Beautiful stuff. Uh, also, uh, one thing that, you know, well, two things. First, um, to be successful in this world, you need to know what your strengths are. You need to know what your weaknesses are. The, really, the only way you're going to discover that is by uh, challenging yourself, really putting yourself in uh, challenging situations where you're going to be up against it and your your best colors are going to shine through and your worst colors are going to shine through and really pay attention to where you shine and where you struggle. And w- when you find out where you shine... That's going to be your key, the open doors. Uh, and when you're approaching future mentors, when you're finding, when you're trying to find out uh, where you belong in this industry, uh, you know, like he said, like like he did, he approached people who, who were interesting to him, who were doing really awesome things. He approached them and said, "Hey, these, and this is another thing. Here is my expectation from this engagement. This is this is what I'm hoping to get from you. And you know what? This is my 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 strength where I shine. This is my key. This is how I'm going to serve you." Uh, and uh, do, do we have a mutual understanding? And take that approach uh, that he took when you're trying to uh, find out what lane you belong in. Uh, you know, a part of that it's not going to come overnight. If you're if you're if you're stressed, if you're young and you're stressed because you don't know who you are, where you belong, you just got to get out there and you know dive in uh, and pay attention and maybe try uh, doing what we discussed, which which keeping keeping that journal. In making notes of what yesterday was like and what resonated with you and where you shined. And over time, you'll find your lane. Um, uh, just some really great stuff that came out of today's interview. And such an honor to know that a man who values time uh, like Chef Jay McCarthy does uh, was a little bent out of shape that he had to give me an hour. And he ended up staying on for an hour and a half. And we were just 
And even after we stop recording this interview, we're on the phone for another half hour, two hours with this incredible man I got today. Just so grateful for that time to to hear a few more of his stories and uh, so grateful for this amazing opportunity to uh, serve you all with this incredible information, this, this incredible mentorship, but also the privilege to connect with all these incredible people. And I get to do that because you are listening and sharing this podcast. Thank you guys so much. I'm so grateful for you. Like always, guys, um, please do connect with me. Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh, Twitter, Eric Cacciatore. Uh, I'm out there. It's easy to find me. I love connecting with you. Uh, I love connecting with you. And I uh, really do love those one-on-one chats. So head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one-on-one. Those one-on-one chats are free. I gain just as much, if not more, out of those conversations uh, as you guys do. I get to hear your pains. I get to find out where I can serve you. Um, So shoot me a message. Um, Call me. Email me. I'm here. I love connecting. Uh, Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. If you have left one, thank you so much. I'm rambling. It's time to sign off. Until next time, peace out.